Part Four, Chapter Eight of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Dole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter Eight. Count Ilya Andreevich had resigned his position as predvoditel or marshal of the district nobility because this office entailed too great expenses, but still his finances showed no improvement. Often Natasha and Nikolai found their parents engaged in secret, anxious consultation and they heard rumors about the sale of the magnificent ancestral home of the Rostovs and their pod Moskovnaya estate. Now that he was relieved from this office, it was not necessary for them to entertain so extensively, and life at Otradnoya went on more quietly than in former years, but the huge mansion and the wings were just as full of servants as ever, and more than twenty persons habitually sat down at table. And all these were the regular household, who lived there, practically members of the family, or those who were obliged, for some reason or other, to live at the Count's expense. Such, for instance, were Dimmler, the music-master, and his wife, Fogel, the dancing-master, and his whole family, and then an elderly lady of quality, named Bilova, who had her home there, and many others of the same sort, Petya's tutors and governors, the young lady's former Guvernatka, and men and women who simply found it better or more to their advantage to live at the Count's than at home. They had not quite so much company as formerly, but the scale of living was practically the same, for the Count and the Countess found it impossible to accommodate themselves to any other. The hunting establishment was the same. Nay, it had even been increased by Nikolai. There were still fifty horses and fifteen coachmen in the stables, Rich gifts on name-days were still given, and formal dinners, at which all the neighborhood were invited. The Count still had his whist and Boston parties, at which, as he held his cards spread out so that everyone could see them, his neighbors were enabled to go away enriched to the extent of several hundred roubles every day. Having come to regard it as an especial prerogative of theirs, to make up a table at which Count Ilya Andreyevich should serve as their chief source of income." The Count marched along through the monstrous tangle of his affairs, striving not to believe that he was so involved, and at every step involving himself more and more, and feeling conscious that he had not the strength to rend the bonds that beset his feet, or the zeal and patience required to unravel them. The Countess, with her loving heart, was conscious that their fortunes were going to rack and ruin, but she felt that the Count was blameless, that he could not help being what he was that he himself was suffering, though he tried to conceal it, from the consciousness of the ruin that faced himself and his family, and was striving to devise means of rescue. From her woman's point of view, the only means that presented itself was to get Nikolai married to a wealthy heiress. She felt that this was their last hope, and that if Nikolai refused a certain match which she proposed to arrange for him, it would be necessary to bid a final farewell to every hope of restoring their fortunes. This match was with Julie Karagina, the daughter of a most worthy and virtuous father and mother, a girl whom the Rostovs had known since she was a child, and who had lately come into a large fortune, by the fortuitous death of the last of her brothers. The Countess had written directly to Madame Karagina, in Moscow, proposing a marriage between daughter and son, and she had received a most favorable response. Karagina replied that she, for her part, was agreed but that everything depended on her daughter's inclinations. Karagina invited Nikolai to come to Moscow. Several times the countess, with tears in her eyes, told her son that now, since both of her daughters were provided for, her sole desire was to see him married. She declared that she would go to her grave contented, if this might be. 
then she said that she happened to know of a very lovely girl and she wanted to know his ideas upon the subject on other occasions she openly praised julie and advised nikolai to go to moscow and have a good time during the christmas holidays nikolai was sharp enough to understand his mother's covert hints and during one of their talks he managed to draw her out completely she told him that their whole hope of bringing their affairs into order was in seeing him married to the Karagina. but what if i loved a girl who was poor maman would you insist upon my sacrificing my feelings and honour for money he asked not realising the harshness of his question and simply desiring to show his noble feelings no you don't understand me said his mother not knowing how to set herself straight you misunderstand me entirely nikolinka all i desire is your happiness she added and she had the consciousness that she had not spoken the truth that she was getting beyond her depth she burst into tears mamenka don't cry simply tell me that this is your real wish and you know that i would give my whole life everything that i have to make you happy said nikolai i would sacrifice everything for you even my dearest wishes but the countess had no desire to offer the dilemma she had no wish to demand a sacrifice from her son she would have preferred herself to be the one who should make the sacrifice no no you have not understood me we won't say anything more about it said she wiping away her tears yes perhaps it is true that i am in love with a penniless girl said nikolai to himself why should i sacrifice my sentiments and my honour for the sake of wealth i am amazed that mamenka should say such a thing to me is there any reason because sonya is poor that i should not love her he asked himself can i return her true generous love and most certainly i should be much happier with her than with such a doll as julie i can always sacrifice my feelings for my parents good he said to himself but to command my feeling is beyond my power if i love sonya then my feeling is more powerful and rules everything for me nikolai did not go to moscow the countess did not again revert to her conversation with him about his marriage but it was with pain and even with indignation that she saw the signs of a constantly growing intimacy between her son and the dowerless sonya she reproached herself but she found it impossible to resist heaping worriments upon sonya and finding fault with her oftentimes stopping her short and addressing her with the formal vous you and moya mylia instead of both the usual tender epithets what annoyed the worthy countess most of all was that this poor dark-eyed niece of hers was so sweet so gentle so humbly grateful for all her kindnesses and so genuinely unchangeably and self-sacrificingly in love with nikolai that it was impossible to find anything really to blame her for nikolai stayed at home waiting till his leave of absence should expire a letter was received about that time from natasha's lover prince andrei dating at rome it was his fourth in it he wrote that he should long ere that have been on his way home to russia had it not been that the warmth of the climate had unexpectedly caused his wound to reopen which obliged him to postpone his journey till the beginning of the next year natasha was deeply in love with her bridegroom her character had been greatly modified by this love at the same time her nature was thoroughly open to all the joys of life but toward the end of the fourth month of their separation she began to suffer from attacks of melancholy which she found it impossible to resist she was sick to death of herself she grieved because all this time was slipping away so uselessly while she felt that she was only too ready to love 
and to be loved. It was far from cheerful at the Rostovs. End of chapter 8